the very latest from our local ag industry. The Farming Show with Dylan Honkoop is next on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Extra, extra, read all about it. If you're craving great-tasting food and local brews in an atmosphere that's making headline news, look no further than the Newsroom Pub. Lunch or dinner, it's always a top story when you visit the Newsroom Pub. Their locally sourced menu will delight with offerings of Dutch delicacies, uniquely battered fish and chips, salads, hot-pressed sandwiches, and many other pub favorites. Plus, always making the front page are their incredibly delicious smash burgers, a must-try. The Newsroom's drinks are local as well, featuring craft beers, wines, and ciders. Also, the bar offers a variety of house cocktails and custom-made hard drinks. The pub's interior was designed and built to preserve much of the historic charm of the old Linden Tribune. Dine in or out in the covered patio. Finish off your meal with an official red raspberry sundae or some ice cream from their Daily Scoop ice cream shop. It's a headline trifecta with good brews, good food, and good news always at the Newsroom Pub. Visit them today in beautiful downtown Linden next to the mural or online at thenewsroompub.com. Are you looking for an auto shop that offers honest quality service? Hi, I'm Kirk, owner of Angler Automotive. At Angler Automotive, we strive to make sure that all of your automotive service needs are met. Angler Automotive provides the factory recommended services that are required to maintain your vehicle's warranty. Angler Automotive, outstanding quality with honest, reliable service. Check us out online at anglerautomotive.com. The itsy-bitsy spider crawled up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed that... That fur isn't itsy-bitsy, Dad. Oh, don't worry, kiddo. It's just a story. No, Dad, that fur on the windowsill. The itsy-bitsy spider is cute when it's only a nursery rhyme. But if your home has big, hairy, nasty spiders, don't panic. Call BioBug today. BioBug, service you trust, experience you expect. In Whatcom, Skagit, and Island Counties and online at BioBug.com. Farmers, salmon advocates, and many others joining together in a coalition to ask the governor of Washington for help with a program they say is important to the future of salmon recovery here in Washington State. We've been talking about this since this whole fiasco the news of this fiasco broke here on the farming show good morning to you on your saturday i'm dylan honkoop here on kgmi this is the farming show and as you're probably aware if you've listened to any uh, this show for any length of time there's quite the um nexus between farming and fish and you know there is a history of some disagreement there, but I think more and more people are seeing how those two can fit together and in a positive way. And that's been the story of a lot of work the farming community has done in the last 20 years or more being involved with salmon recovery along streams. And in a lot of cases, allowing um, and, and cooperating with projects that convert some land along streams to habitat restoration. Um, providing trees and other kinds of um, buffer to shade the streams, to provide water filtration, to make streams healthier for the salmon uh, that live there and and come to spawn there. Of course, uh, I'm getting to talking about this CREP 
situation, the conservation reserve easement program um, that, you know, as we've talked about, has run into some trouble within the the past month or so. And uncovering uh, at the federal level a mistake that was made uh, two decades ago, now causing the cancellation of a bunch of these contracts in this program, the program making it possible, making it feasible for a lot of landowners to do this because it provided some compensation for the land, the, the productive farmland in some cases, that they were losing by planting it into trees and turning it into, into a buffer along the stream. It, there was a give and take there. Now, because of this error, the whole program is up in the air in a lot of ways. A lot of trust has already been lost. And farmers and salmon advocates together, groups that, you know, in the past didn't get along so great, honestly, are now going together to the governor saying, hey, uh, can the state of Washington pick up uh, what the feds are letting go and keep this program going? Otherwise, we'll not only lose the contracts that we have here uh, currently that are being canceled, but it's going to hobble these kinds of programs way into the future. Joining me right now is former Whatcom County Councilman and current CREP uh, program participant and landowner, Rudd Brown. Welcome to the program this morning. Good to have you here on The Farming Show. Um, first off, I know from hearing from others who've spoken to you about this, and we haven't chatted about this yet until just now, this situation hit you pretty hard because you were very involved in the CREP program. You had multiple properties enrolled in this. Well, Mark, welcome. I'm uh, sorry. Thank you for the intro, Dylan. It's good to talk to you and to, to be involved with your listeners again. Yeah, I've, I've been focused on this as a key way of, of sort of balancing habitat, uh, conservation, um, housing and um, farming, actually, trying to find the, the right way to sort of take a piece of property and and find the right mix as to what stays in agriculture, what needs to be protected as critical habitat and what should be served as housing. So, yeah, I've been very involved in this for probably 10 years now. Well, and as you summarize that there, I mean, that was one of the thorny issues that would come up time and time again, still comes up with the Whatcom County Council and certainly during, during your time, um, there on the council. Um, so you've been involved with this for a long time. You know the political backdrop. And having properties involved in it yourself, you've seen the success that can happen when this comes together correctly. Yeah, I've seen the success. The other thing I've seen, of course, is it's a significant commitment on the part of the landowner, both in terms of the the amount that you land that you take out of, say, agricultural production, whether it be used for you know, grazing cattle or growing hay or or vegetables, but it's also the, um, the, the it's not cheap to do this. It you know it costs between a thousand and three thousand dollars an acre to install the crep planting, and if the if you don't have the revenue for it, and you then want to to say you know find another way to pay your property taxes for the land that you've got, then you've got to rip out the the, the crep to return it back to agriculture, and that's another several thousand dollars per, per acre. Never mind the cost then to the stream of undoing the good that had been done there in collaboration with all the parties involved, including the landowner and potentially a farmer, right? Yeah. It's, we're going backwards when we need to be going further forward. Yeah, and I've met a lot of people over the years who have also put in crap, crap and you know, they share your view. This is sort of a win-win. I'm 
required to put buffers in. Uh, I want to protect the stream. I'm supportive of water quality and salmon habitat. And this provides an economic means of doing it. Mm -hmm. And then for older farmers in particular, you know, you, if you take that land out of production, then that sort of a, a little bit of additional income balance with their social security, you know, gives them a, a, a fair retirement. Well, and a program like this is something that uh, addresses the con ongoing concerns that folks have with um, proposal after proposal at the state level about mandating um, buffers, at least, and there are a variety of concerns about some of the proposals that have been made in terms of um, the fact that they would be, you know, some of the proposals have been inflexible and very large. And, and a part of that that this addresses is the, the idea of a taking of land, uh, loss of value there, not just in the, the value of the land itself, but in the loss of the, the productivity there. Um, this program shows that, that it can be done if compensation is fair and there is an actual program for it rather than people just basically you know feeling like they're having their land stolen from them there have been concerns though in the in the farming community about being involved with this kind of stuff and now what has happened with this program certainly has caused a lot of people to say see you just you can't get involved with this kind of stuff you can't trust it you, this is involved with the government um, I'm not having anything to do with this anymore. Um, what would you What would you say to those folks? I mean, I, I know you're in a similar situation and you're frustrated, but I think we're all hoping for a solution here. Well, I think the thing that's most surprising to me is, um, and I, you know, perhaps don't share the same level of distrust from government overall. But you know, I've spent a long prior to serving in the council, I spent probably 30 years running an international business. I've dealt with a lot of legal issues in a lot of different jurisdictions. I have never in my life seen anything where I've entered into a contract and the person on the other side has turned around and said, I have unilateral ability to cancel a contract that has actually passed the statute of limitations, which is six years. So the contracts I've got are uh, eight years old. And technically, they should be unchangeable, even if there is an error. Um, so that's sort of staggering to me. And, and, the, and the, the idea that they made a mistake, therefore, they can turn around and cancel it and settle me and everybody else with the financial consequences. That is, you know, frankly, my business career was unprecedented. Yeah. And that's exactly what I said from the get go. Uh, the idea, a contract at its basic you know, the basic concept there is, that, you know, it's a an agreement between two parties and both have to agree and then both have to abide by that contract. And the idea that they can just renege on that contract because what, they're the federal government? So they don't have to hold up the, their end of the deal. The, I, I think the term that I was quoted uh, using in the Bellingham Herald article about the, the latest on this um from yesterday was was that it, it there's a it creates a chilling effect and it you know I think it could create a chilling effect far beyond even just this issue how can you how would you engage um, in a contract with the federal government if they're saying well sorry we're we're from the government therefore we can we have the ability to break this contract and I mean this isn't even talking about the the potential that apparently existed there at the beginning. That where they had apparently behind the scenes been talking about forcing people to 
pay back what they had gotten for these contracts. I mean, thank the Lord that that's not the case anymore, but the the attitude that that should even be a possibility to me was mind-boggling. By the way, we're talking with Red Brown, uh, former Whatcom County Councilman, current participant in the CREP program. He's got multiple pro- properties enrolled in that. Rudd, have you ever heard of any, I mean, you're saying that already you haven't heard of any sort of, you know, government in particular or anybody treating a contract this way. It's, it sounds illegal to me. Well, and, and when you talk about federal regulations, the federal regulations for the statute of limitations for contract disputes or, or you know, um, being able to claim that, you know, this is not a, a valid contract, that's six years. So the USDA is is actually not following federal law. And then the thing that's really bizarre to me is that the, the way this was presented is that they have no choice. They must cancel these contracts. And the truth is, that's a rule that governs the state operations of the USDA. But the federal rules for which the Secretary of Agriculture has full authority to, to uh, uh, use is they have the right, uh, Congress has, has given them the right to simply say, okay, well, there were some errors here, but we're going to not hold the, per- we're not going to hold the person who acted in good faith, which was the landowners, we're not going to hold them responsible for the errors of the USDA. So the, so my point is the federal law allows them to make this problem go away immediately. The federal law, as I read it, says you can't go back and redo these contracts after six years. And yet they're trying to breach the contracts and they're not using the tool they have at the moment to, to solve the problem for the for the landowners. So that's the bizarre part of yeah. it. Well, and at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is is money. Right. And they're they're saying they don't want to pay. And then again, like you're saying, they're they're claiming that they're just it's impossible. They can't do it. But I think any, you know, normal person on the street can see how the government has been throwing around money the last few years. Um, And and to this specific issue, the, the amount of dollars that are dedicated from the government, from the federal government level and other government levels, uh, to fish restoration, salmon restoration, um, makes this look like not even a mist in a bucket. I mean, they're, they're talking about, you know, billions upon billions of dollars to potentially mitigate the negative impacts of breaching dams in the Snake River, yet they can't find something to continue on this program that is proven to help that is a fraction of that i mean it it does not make sense to me and a a lot of other people and it almost feels like there's something else going on here like they're trying to get rid of this yeah i don't uh, i think well first off the 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 conservation reserve enhancement program the crip program is the single most successful conservation program in U.S. history. It's been going for decades. The, the amount of money we're talking about in Whatcom County, while it's in the millions over the, over, the, over the next 14 years in terms of the rental contracts that are still left to run, it's a rounding error on a rounding error in terms of the, the federal level that they spend on CREP. So, if, you know, if you ask me why they're doing it, I think someone's embarrassed that they dropped the ball and they can't be seen as, as you know, supporting the continual payment of these things from a mistake that they made. I don't know who that person is, but the, it's, again, I'm just flabbergasted because I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. 
Is there any sense that you're getting um, that there may still be a federal fix to that? I, you know, I'm hearing from multiple folks who are saying that ain't going to happen. The feds aren't going to fix this. And this is why we need to look to Washington state now to see if they can come fill the gap. Well, I can tell you as, as I read the federal regulations and for those who are interested, it's under title seven, part 718.303, which is reliance on incorrect actions or information, right? As I read it, the, the the only federal action needs to be taken is the Secretary of Agriculture needs to sign off on, on using this section. It's fully within his authority. Um, as to why that's not going to happen, don't know. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball for that one. Mm-hmm. What about at the state level? What are you hearing about the prospects there? You know, th- this is with the backdrop of what happened in the last legislative session in Olympia, where there was another, uh, as we were alluding to earlier, another buffer proposal, um, as we have termed it here, where I work at Whatcom Family Farmers at times, depending on what the proposal is, a big dumb buffer proposal, because it was big buffers that were inflexible, not smart, um, and tailored to individual properties. We had a lot of issues with that. Then, lo and behold, so did others, and a wonderful bipartisan group of Democrats, Republicans, farmers, tribes, etc., all came together and came up with a, a nice compromise proposal on that to work saying, okay, let, let's I- I include everyone's concerns and still work on buffers here. They came up with some money um, to do that. Unfortunately, the governor didn't uh, sign off on the program, but the budget did include some funding for buffer work like this. And I think that's what the these folks are saying. Hey, let's use some of that. This this program is exactly in line with what that was supposed to be about. Have you heard, Rudd, is is that a, a possibility at this point? What are, what are the tea leaves, I guess, uh, that you're reading in Olympia? Well, I'm not, you know, to be perfectly honest, since I left the county council, I've devoted a lot less time to what happens in Olympia than I did beforehand. <laughs> Um, but I think the, you know, the, uh, hopefully what's going to happen is that there'll be an awareness within Olympia that the new money that is going towards the habitat um, and salmon is, is frankly going to be wasted if we let go of the existing buffers that are already in place. And remember that the stuff that's already there was the high priority stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff that made it through, you know, the, the, the filters. Well, you know, I've got property A we can invest in or property B. Well, property A has got, you know, um, much more presence of salmon. It's much more intact. There's better water quality. We really want to protect and enhance that. And so the dollars, we, you know, the, they focus the dollars on the stuff that had the most impact. And if you turn around and, and pull all that, uh, you know, over a 1,000 acres of habitat protections out. Uh, what are you going to do then? Focus on all the other stuff? It, it doesn't make sense. And and the chilling fact as well. Why would a landowner, after seeing this go down, why would a landowner enter into any kind of contract of this type with the federal government again? Or anybody, well, really? Bad, because I think that the, the halo effect in a negative way extends to any government contract, whether it's state, local, or otherwise. Yeah. We've known each other for a while, Dylan. We're probably on different ends of the political spectrum. But on this particular point, I completely agree with you. And I, I have focused on environmental issues my entire professional career. Uh, I've looked at the, at the projects that I worked on now. I've seen the, the federal government CREP program as a key part of, of making those things work, to find that balance between 
farming, um, you know, habitat and housing. And you're right. I don't. I I could not do another project like this again, uh, trusting that the federal government is going to honour its commitment. Because if they're allowed to walk away from these projects because they say, "Oh, we made a mistake," you know, we're, we're sorry, the mistake was 20 years ago, but we made a mistake. Um, you know, but please sign up for the next program. <laughs> and my comment is going to be, and in 10 years, you're going to tell me tell me you made another mistake as well. Yeah. I mean. Um, that's, that's not a confidence builder. Yeah. Well, and, and what you mentioned there about, you know, different backgrounds and different perspectives. I think that's, what's interesting about this current situation is there are people with, um, very differing backgrounds, people who maybe don't agree on a lot of things who have come together, um, to work towards, you know, some kind of fix to try to save the program, save the day here with what, uh, has happened again, Rudd Brown, former Whatcom County councilman, um, and, uh, current, uh, CREP contract holder and the conservation reserve easement uh, program uh, for you know helping stream restoration with us here on the program this morning Rudd, thank you so much for your time and uh, let's see what happens here I, it will be interesting to see who steps up to the plate uh, again i'm hearing that it's highly unlikely the feds are going to do anything to make this right now as far as i'm concerned the ball is moving into the state's court and will governor Inslee and or someone in his administration uh, move to um to fix this issue and i think if they don't it, the the future for these kinds of projects is is dim um rudd thanks again for your time this morning we appreciate it i appreciate it Don. now you can mow dig grade haul and more with the perfect solution for your property a branson tractor save your back and your wallet with one of our compact but powerful tractors here at farmers equipment company stop by and choose from our full line of bransons to take on your toughest tasks with tractors from 19 to 55 horsepower, we have a Branson Compact or Utility Tractor that is perfect for you. Want to use a rotary cutter to tame that tall brush on your property? You can do that. What about snagging a scoop from that pile of gravel to maintain your driveway free of potholes? You can do that too. Branson's six-year warranty along with our factory-trained technicians will make sure your new tractor is always running great. Get the tractor you want and the peace of mind you need at Farmer's Equipment Company. To learn more, visit us online at FarmersEquip.com or stop by our locations in Linden or Burlington today. Farmer's Equipment Company, serving the Pacific Northwest for over 86 years. Are you looking for a pizza experience like no other? Look no further than All Time Pizza. All Time Pizza with 21 different fresh pizzas to choose from with a grand variety of fresh toppings. Craving a pizza adventure? Try their buffalo chicken pizza, Indian pizza, or Linden Lion pizza. You'll be surprised at the flavors and freshness. Their fantastic all-you-can-eat buffet provides you with an opportunity to taste and try many different types to find your favorite. Plus, the buffet includes a salad bar with all your favorite fixings. All Time Pizza has just opened their bar with seven taps, international bottled beers, huge selection of cocktails and virgin cocktails as well. Enjoy a whiskey sour or gin martini while ordering off their new Indo-Chinese menu with delicious roasted tandoori bites, fish fingers, or a must-try is their Chicken 65, just to name a few. Plus, All Time Pizza has catering options for your special occasions. Yes, all this, All Time Pizza has it all in Linden. All fresh ingredients all the time. Find them in Linden's Bender Plaza just north of the ball field and at All Time Pizza. Pizza.com.
in the shop. And I saw a little headline that says, uh, how much does it cost to replace the Ford F-150 Lightning's battery? I thought, that ought to be interesting. Kirk from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. It cost around, are you ready for this? 30000 bucks. Join them on In the Shop, 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Harness the power of the sun, reduce your carbon footprint, and save on your energy bills. You can now go solar with West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electrical. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. People who use water, people who have property, have a water right potentially here in Whatcom County. Or maybe they're unsure about where their water right stands. Any of you folks need to be paying attention to this case down in southwest Washington that continues to unfold. It's Busy Farms. Bill Zimmerman, we had him on the program here. I'll say it was about a year ago. Uh, That story continues to unfold. A farm uh, down in Clark County, uh, near Vancouver, Washington, is in a lot of trouble. Um, And it has to do with water. When I say in a lot of trouble, I don't necessarily mean oh they've done something terrible at least not in my estimation but the state department of ecology has ordered them to stop irrigating or risk fines of up to five thousand dollars per day this reporting is in the capital press don jenkins uh covering this in the last couple of weeks anybody in whatcom county who's concerned about the future of farming, uh, who has a water right or who has farm ground with maybe unclear water rights, needs to be paying attention to what's happening down uh, in uh, and near Vancouver with Bill Zimmerman. This is The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on, on KGMI. Uh, and joining us this morning is a water rights expert and attorney, uh, works with the uh, the Ag Water Board and the, the Watershed Improvement Districts here on Whatcom County, as well as multiple other entities. Bill Clark uh, is on the phone with us this morning. Bill, thanks for being here. V- Bill is very plugged in down in Olympia, not only on the legal side, but also... Um, on the political side, what, what the future is for water and a lot of different regions, including Whatcom County, where he does a lot of work. He's been very involved in what's happening with this water rights adjudication um, and helping guide where that goes and also informing those of us here who it's going to directly impact uh, what we should be doing, what we need to know about it. Um Bill, thanks for taking the time to chat with us this morning. Talk about Bill Zimmerman down in Vancouver real quick. This guy is facing a bad situation, and he says that the upshot is either he keeps farming one way or the other, or 
he could subdivide his property and start the development process there on his farmland that's been in his family for well over 100 years. What, what's going on here? Yeah, thanks, Dylan. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, the Zimmerman issue has been around for a number of years. I think you covered it, I think, previously. Yeah. And it's a situation that I think a number of farms can find themselves in, even if they've farmed their land through their family back into the 1800s in that you know, water use that predated even the water code when it was adopted in 1917 for surface water, 1945 for groundwater, that early water use, farmers had to submit what's called a water right claim to the state by the late 1970s. And clearly there was irrigation um, at the Zimmerman property, and and it sounds like they just did not submit that claim form. And so now, even though they've been farming that land through their family since the 1890s, they don't have any legal water right that's been submitted to the state. So, you know, the Zimmerman farm, it sounds like it's faced with this situation where while they don't have water for farming, they would have water available if they subdivided the land and drilled individual exempt wells for rural development because under our state law, uh, domestic use, meaning for residential purposes, up to 5,000 gallons per day, is exempt from needing a water right permit from the state. So, that, so you're that's telling me that there is a way to get water rights for development, but there is no way for a farm that's in this situation, not, not a new farm. It's been there for over a, since the 1800s and they've been irrigating and doing farming things all along, but there is no way for them to get a legal water right to continue what, doing what they're doing. But there is for houses yeah, he's it, their property is in an area that's a basin that's closed by Department of Ecology to issuing new water rights for irrigation, similar to how the Nooksack Basin is closed to new water rights for irrigation. Um, theoretically, you could find a water right and buy it and transfer it. But if you're in an area where he's at, where there's not a lot of other water rights around, buying and transferring a water right has not been a viable option. The other option would be you know, getting water from a city or from like the PUD down there, but, you know, paying that level of cost for basically, you know, drinking water to irrigate your farm is just not a cost effective option. So the, the, the idea of getting a water right for that property has just not become an option down there. You say it's a closed basin. That's the same for the Nooksack Basin, right? Correct. Yeah. And so under the rule that Department of Ecology adopted in 1985, if the basin's considered closed to new water rights, there's some you can get water rights that are that can be issued, but you can't use the water when the minimum flow in the Nooksack River drops below the adopted in-stream flow level, which typically happens every summer. And so people need their water rights for irrigation in the summer. So it's functionally closed for, for new water rights. So somebody like Bill Zimmerman doesn't really have any options at this point. It doesn't look like it. No, and I know they've, you know, put a fair amount of effort into figuring out some sort of solution because it's a really interesting, you know, well-loved, well-supported local farm, and they just can't find a water right for it. And again, the irony there is there is water available under the water code if they subdivide and build housing because that type of domestic use for rural housing is exempt from needing a permit. That's the same in the Nooksack Basin, too. Upside down. If you look at the big picture and what our goals are as a community uh, and through this larger region, what what people want to see happen in terms of maintaining rural character, maintaining local food and farming, uh, protecting watersheds. Um, 
And again, we're talking with Bill Clark right now. Uh, he is a water rights uh, expert and attorney based in Olympia. Uh, that's that's what our big fear is, right, Bill? I mean, that, that's what the experts are saying is the biggest problem facing our basins and our streams and our, our fish is rural development. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of the, whether it's um, in the Puget Sound area, there's an agency called Puget Sound Partnership. And at the state level, there's a statewide salmon recovery strategy. You know, the the number one issue uh, that's that's been a problem for salmon recovery is kind of urbanization and kind of suburban sprawl. And the irony now is that the water rights situation allows that type of suburban sprawl in areas where you're trying to preserve farmland or forest land. So that's that's the irony you're pointing to. And this is thanks to the quote-unquote Hearst fix? I mean, yeah, legally, how did that yeah. play out? Yeah, so part of it was the Hearst case that came out of Whatcom County mm-hmm. that where originally the case was a growth management hearings board case that, that asserted that the county, Whatcom County, had to review all new wells for impairment and typically that's always been something that Department of Ecology does because Department of Ecology administers the water code. And the Supreme Court agreed that under the Growth Management Act, county, cities and counties had that type of authority or, or responsibility to review water rights, including new wells. Functionally, that shut down new wells throughout the state. And then the legislature took the issue up and, in essence, reversed the Hearst decision and said, no, Ecology adopts the rules, and cities and counties have to follow those rules. And so then Ecology um, amended a number of those in-stream flow rules around the state, including the one for the Nooksack Basin. So there's now a 500-gallon per day allowance for new domestic wells. So under that amendment to the Nooksack rule, if you had a a Zimmerman-type situation in Whatcom County where there was a farm that was found to not have any water rights, they wouldn't have water rights for irrigation but they could subdivide that farm and build housing. What an upside down, you know, perverse incentive to do exactly what I think the farming community doesn't want to see. And I think a lot of other folks don't want to see as well. Uh, People who care about streams and about salmon don't want to see more pavement, more homes in rural areas, in the watersheds. Um, It's, it's crazy to think about, um, and I guess we should, and by the way, this is a farming show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. We're talking with Bill Zimmer, or Bill, not Bill Zimmer. We're talking about Bill Zimmerman's case. We're talking with Bill Clark, a water expert here in Washington State, uh, who's deeply involved with this overall situation and specifically what's happening here in Whatcom County as well. Um, Bill, what, just for a moment here, we should update folks on you know, what is the, the situation with so-called exempt wells, these wells that, that you just mentioned under Hearst. Now, older exempt wells from before the Hearst case were grandfathered in, right? And then there Correct. are Hearst fix wells, and, and the older ones had, back in the day, the, the rule was 5,000 gallons a day, right? Right. Yep, that's right. So prior to, I believe, 2020 was when the new rules were implemented. Wells prior to that were just subject to the statutory 5,000-gallon limit. And, you know, most a single house doesn't typically use 5,000 gallons per day. It may be 1,000 gallons per day. After the Hearst rule was implemented within the Nooksack Basin, the limit is now 500. And, you know, the, the, 
the interesting thing is all of those wells, whether it's a newer exempt well or an old exempt well for a house or for any sort of out, outdoor use, you can also, in the older wells, irrigate uh, up to a half acre non-commercial lawn or garden. All of those wells are going to be pulled into the water rights adjudication that is a court case, a lawsuit that Department of Ecology is expected to file in maybe April of next year within Whatcom County Superior Court. So those water rates will actually be quantified through a court process that will start in 2024. It probably will play out over decades, but it'll include whether it's small exempt wells or everything up to the biggest agricultural and municipal water rates. So folks who have a home in a rural area that are not served by municipal water or a water association, they have their own private well, which as you're explaining here, uh, uh, an exempt well, quote unquote, it does not mean the well is exempt from having a water right. It, it is a water right, but it is exempt from having to file for a water right. Am I describing that yeah. correctly? Yeah, the distinction is what it's exempt from is having to get a permit from the state, right? So to have an exempt well, which can be singular group domestic, uh, half acre non-commercial lawn or garden, industrial use up to 5,000 gallons per day or stock water, it's exempt from having to get a permit. So to use that type of well, you don't file a permit application and wait for an affirmative approval from Department of Ecology. You can just use that quantity of water exempt from permitting. But that water that you use is like a water right. It does have a priority date. It is subject to quantification through the water rights adjudication that will start sometime next year. And so whether it's whether you're a small water user or a big water user, everybody needs to be aware of this case and, and how to participate in it to make sure you, you protect your water right. Well, that's something that I think a lot of local folks are, are recently, you know, more people are, are cluing into, oh my goodness, I, you know, this is going to affect me, this situation that, that's moving forward, albeit slowly, uh, but this, this water rights adjudication situation, this is going to affect a lot more people than... Uh, I think, and understood that it was going to affect them initially. And uh, those people are tuning in, and, and that's good. Uh, you know, there's a recent meeting in Ferndale. A lot of people, um, I think that was an eye-opener for them. W what do folks in that situation need to be thinking about and doing right now? Well, I think a few things. You know, one is um, this case that would be filed by Department of Ecology is the first time in Washington state that exempt wells, meaning people's household wells, would have to be quantified through a court process. Department of Ecology has described having, I think, a simplified process for homeowners where, there, where the requirements to prove and show their water use would be different than larger water uses, right? Different than a city, different than a PUD or, or a large irrigator. So I think conceptually there will be a simplified process for homeowners for that level of water use, but they still need to participate. It's the same kind of, you know, issue as, as the Zimmerman farm that, you know, they should have filed a water claim probably decades ago and they didn't. Similarly, people in the Nooksack Basin need to be aware of what's going on with this water rights adjudication. So even if you have a simplified process to protect whatever water use you have for your house, you can do that under the deadlines that will be established by the court. It's uh it's an intimidating process ahead, uh, and people are rightfully uh, concerned 
about what's going to happen. You know, what's what's the hope for folks here who don't, you know, it, people in a similar situation. You know, I've heard recently about a, a piece of farm ground that a local farmer I know is, is farming, doesn't own it, but they're renting it, but the, the owner is aware of this as well. The, the ground is being farmed but doesn't have a legal water right for irrigation that it would need to be to, to be secure into the future. That same piece of ground has the zoning for development. It, it, it's zoned R5 for you know, rural five-acre plots that it could be subdivided and put a bunch of, you know, several homes on it. And those, as we're describing earlier, those could get water rights, essentially, through exempt wells for each home. But there is zero water that it can get as as a f- piece of farm ground right now. Um, so what what is the farmer and the landowner supposed to, what are they supposed to do? What is the hope for folks in that situation? I know there's a lot of stories like that around here in the Nooksack Basin. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially agricultural water rights have a really, you know, complex and somewhat twisted history within the Nooksack Basin. You know, some people have water rights that have been issued by the state. Others have filed water right claims that will be quantified during the adjudication. Other people have just filed an application for water rights, um, and that application is just sitting in a line waiting to be processed. Whether or not those water rights can even be approved remains to be seen. Um, but like you said, I think the the adjudication, I think, will force people to make some business decisions on do they proceed through the adjudication process, which is a court case that is can be very complex. And so a lot of people will need water rate consultants or attorneys to evaluate the validity of their water rights or can their application be approved. If you're a, you know, 75-year-old farmer and you're at a point in your life where it's like, I don't know if I have you know, the the funds available to hire the consultants and the attorneys I need, and you have five acre zoning, the business decision might in fact be stop farming, rely on the five acre subdivision, build a number of houses relying on that guarantee of 500 gallons per day for housing. Hmm. And then you don't, you don't participate in the adjudication. You just file an adjudication for those exempt wells. But since there's no irrigation, then the farm goes away. I think it's going to, the adjudication will force that decision for some people. That's I. That's what I know we're going to see, and we're going to see way more of it um, soon as people start doing the math here uh, on what they're up against in the situation. And it's not going to be good. Um, but in this situation where a farmer or a landowner makes that decision, and that's not what we want to see as a community, you know, farms going out of business, A, and B, the land that was the farm being turned into houses and pavement, then I think most people, again, d- agree that it's not good. But then can you really see the the person, the landowner, or the farmer in that case being the bad guy? You know, and I think that's the perception. Oh, why are people developing their property? Someone in that situation who cannot continue to farm because they can't, there's no legal pathway for them to get the water that they need to continue. I mean, how, how can you blame somebody like that? Um, they are between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, no, it's fundamentally an economic decision that will be driven by the adjudication. The one 
you know, the one, um, I guess, potential bright spot, if there is one, is, you know, there's a, well, the adjudication will be filed by ecology and it will be a, you know, it'll be a slow moving process because it's a super complicated court process. It will have, you know, literally thousands of thousands of parties to the lawsuit, meaning anybody who has a water right, anybody who has their own well with their exempt use would be a party to the lawsuit. The trend in a lot of Western states that have these types of water rights adjudications is to also pursue some sort of settlement agreement, which has been successful in some other states. And in doing so, you part of the reason for doing an adjudication is to quantify the most senior water rights in the mm-hmm. basin, which are those that belong to treaty tribes. And so the Lummi Nation and the Nooksack tribe have water rights that are based on their treaties. The federal settlement process works to quantify those water rights that belong to the tribes. And at the same time, a lot of the settlement agreements include significant amounts of infrastructure and funding for water supply projects, both to support and satisfy tribal in-stream flow needs and on-reservation needs, but also water supply needs for the basin, whether it's for Mm -hmm. cities, whether it's for farming. And so it can be, you know, water supply pipelines and storage and other infrastructure kind of uses it's increasingly common for states to pursue those types of settlements of their adjudications um, because that will bring actual solutions as opposed to just quantifying water rights and then finding out who's going to close down their farm because they don't have water. Yeah. We need to bring new water into the system and, and do this differently. That's what we've been calling for here. We've been talking about that for a long time here on the show. We continue to call for that. Bill Clark, a water rights expert attorney uh, down in Olympia. Thank you for your time on the program and thanks for all the good work that you're doing down there. Thanks Dylan. Yeah. Stay in touch and thanks for having me on the show.